everybody doing? Good. I, um, I'm going to be leaving probably uh, a little bit into the small group session today. I've got to get back for some things at our church in Houston. And before the time gets away from me, I just want you all to know, ministered to me. Uh, this has been a great weekend of refreshment for me, really good fellowship. Uh, not all men's groups or men's retreats are created equally, and you guys' uh, willingness to engage relationally, willingness to be challenged, even if you're asking uh, tough questions back, you've, you've done it in a, a way that is humble and kind, and uh, willingness to include me in on basketball and all this kind of stuff, running around making me sore. Uh, it's just been, you, you probably wouldn't even um, realize how, how, so thank you all very much. I mean, really, really, it's, it's been such a blessing. Yeah, I'm the one who should be clapping, actually. So. Uh, let me pray. We're going to turn our attention to Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. And you all have all heard that. And the danger is you've all heard that because you, you go, well, I know what he's going to talk about. Uh, you might, but sometimes it's a good reminder. And, and by the way, you might not because I'm talking about some things that normally aren't talked about in this passage. So let me pray and let's just ask that God would open our hearts and our minds to what he has for us today. Lord, uh, we are so grateful for the incredible blessings you give us, first and foremost in Christ and what he has done for us and, and all the freedom and the joy that comes from that. But then, Lord, you have given us community to celebrate that freedom and, and to remind each other of that freedom and, and the security that we have in Christ. And Lord, I have seen that here amongst these men uh, this, this weekend. I have felt that here amongst these men uh, this weekend. And, and it's it's just a reminder of how good you are, Father. So thank you for your goodness to each of us. Thank you, God, for your goodness to give us this time together. Thank you, Lord, for your word, the matchless words of Scripture. Pray, God, that we would delight to be your men and to sit under your word and to live lives that are congruent with that which it teaches. Help us, God, that that might be the case this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Okay, Matthew 28, we're going to start with verse 16, and we're going to go through verse 20. It's the last words of the book of Matthew. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I know what you're thinking. He's going to talk about verse 19 because everyone talks about verse 19. And why wouldn't you talk about verse 19? Verse 19 is incredible. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations. If, if you don't think that I'm going to talk about that, you haven't been paying attention, right? Like, that's what you're thinking. You're thinking, I've kind of already heard this message. You know that go, baptizing, and teaching are all, adver are all participles, and they modify the, the verb, the main verb, 
make disciples. So there, there's one main verb, make disciples. It's a command, and all the other things modify. That's how you make disciples. It's as you go, which means you don't have to add more events to your disciple-making schedule. Like, discipleship isn't something you go and do additionally. It's as you go to work, as you go to recreate, as you go into life with your family, you are making disciples. So it's not, it's just baptizing that which you have thought to be secular, it's actually sacred. So that, that's good news because I've heard a lot of people today or this weekend talk about, well, I just don't have time to do this. You're not adding anything new, you're just baptizing that which you thought was secular. And, and God's saying, I want you to make that sacred time. I want you to bring someone along, parakaleo someone as you go. So baptizing and teaching, we're actually probably not going to talk about that. You've heard good teaching on that. The main thing that I want to talk about today is verse 17. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. First thing you need to know about Matthew is this is the only thing that happens after the resurrection. You've got a little snippet in verses 11 through 15 about how the, the guards are going to be bought off, but that's not really that much. You have the resurrection, an explanation of how guards were bought off, and then you've got the Great Commission. And I just want you to realize that in Matthew's mind, he's he is eliminating many of the other resurrection accounts so as to put focus as you go make disciples, baptizing and teaching them, all that. So there, there's a simplicity but also a focus to his resurrection account that he wants everyone to realize this is the deal. That's not really what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is this verse 17. They saw Jesus... And they worshiped him, but some doubted. So the question that I want to ask you today is, what's all the doubt about? There's a conventional wisdom here, and I'm going to be unconventional. But I'm going to tell you what the conventional wisdom is. The conventional wisdom is that there are as many as 500 people on this man. So you've got the 11 disciples, and then you've got 489 other people, and they're all worshiping Jesus up on this mountain. And the 11 disciples aren't doubting Jesus because they've seen Jesus multiple times, up to 11 times in the resurrection before this, if you're, if you're trying to synthesize all the Gospels. So it's these other guys who are doubting. My problem with that, the reason I don't go there, is because the text actually says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. The text doesn't say anything about 489 other people. I get that that's a great way to help the 11 not be doubters, but I think you're really reading in 489 other people. I just, I don't think that's what's going on. I get, I'm unconventional. You can, you can hold that view if you want. I just don't hold that view. I don't think there's any but the 11 up on that mountain because the text says 11 went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. So then the question that I have for myself, maybe for you, if you buy into my unconventional thinking, is simply this. Why are the disciples doubting Jesus at this point after his resurrection. Again, he's already seen, touched his hands. He's already reinstated Peter. You know, like he's been back 
for quite a while now, like 40 days or so. Why are they doubting him? My answer is they're not doubting him. You go, wait a second, Wes, you can't read 489 people into the text, but you can't also just discount the fact that it says, but some doubted. It doesn't say they doubted Jesus. It's not what it says. It says they doubted. I've looked at the Greek. There's no direct object to the doubted. It it just says, but some doubted. It's it's left open-ended. We've got to try to figure this out. I know y'all are in San Antonio, and you, you probably like the Dallas Cowboys. Bless your hearts. But I've become uh, not a, a rabid fan at all, but, but a, a, a somewhat fan of the Houston Texans. Okay? I, I go to like a game every two years, but, but I like them. And I like them a lot better now that we got Deshaun Watson. Because that, yeah, that guy's godly. Yeah, Clemson. Love, love Dabo Sweeney, by the way, uh, but, but love Deshaun Watson because he's a godly young man and he's doing things right. And he was taking the Texans, if you were paying attention last year, uh, on a really and then all of a sudden doing a drill in practice, a non-contact drill. He tears his ACL. What happens to the Texans after Deshaun Watson, their new quarterback, goes out? They tank it, right? He's the leader. He is phenomenally gifted. And he goes out. And and with him goes the hopes of the Houston Texans. Imagine being the disciples. Uh, Imagine Jesus saying, it's on you guys now. I'm going back up to my crib. I'm going home. I'm, I'm going to be at the right hand of the Father. Good luck with that. The Texans lose Deshaun Watson, who's a great and godly man, but he's a man. The disciples are losing God. Like he's, what do you do at that point? Look, let's acknowledge that the disciples' track record isn't stellar to this point with Jesus. Right? I mean, they have been tripping over their own feet for three years now. Peter says, you can have a kingdom without a cross, Lord, to which Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Not a good day. (laughs) Peter denies Jesus three times in less than 24 hours in Jesus' darkest moment. Not a good day. Thomas says, I'll never believe that he's resurrected, even though he said he would resurrect umpteen times in the Gospels. And Jesus has to come and say, okay, touch my arms. Here's my side. Not a good day. And that's with Jesus there. Now Jesus is about to take off. I think the disciples are doubting their ability to carry on. Just like the Houston Texans doubted their ability to win another game in the NFL last year. I I think that's exactly what's going on. And look, that matters because I hear from people who I say, you can be a disciple maker all the time. I don't know that I can. I don't know that I have the gifts. I don't know that that I have the time. I don't know that I have uh, my life in order enough. There are so many things that seem 
just against my participation in the kingdom of God. I hear you talk about heaven coming down, angels ascending and descending. That sounds great. I just don't know that I can do it. It's, it's a serious problem unto disciple making. Here's Jesus' answer, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then at the very end, and behold, I am with you always. Do you see how Jesus just turned the conversation? The disciples, if you believe my interpretation, are saying, I don't know that we can do it. This is about us and our frailties and our inadequacies. And Jesus says, you're thinking about the wrong individual. All authority, the Greek word is exousia, all authority, governing power, has been given to me. All heaven. Where's Jesus going? Heaven. And on earth, where the disciples are staying, is still mine. My departure from this earth doesn't mean that I don't have authority on this earth. All authority in heaven where I'm going and on earth where you will continue to labor has been given to me. And the next word is therefore. Like, this isn't about you. This is about me. I have all authority. I can work through whatever I want. Therefore, you go. Do y'all get that your hesitancy to participate in the kingdom's work, your hesitancy to take a commandment by your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ before he ascends to the right hand of God because you feel inadequate is actually not an anthropological statement. It's not a statement about man or you. It's a theological statement. What you're really saying by your hesitancy is God doesn't have authority to work through me. He's not strong enough to overcome my frailties and my weaknesses, and so I am therefore relegated to passivity. That, that's what you're saying. This isn't about anthropology. It's about theology. Your, your theology is flawed if you are on the sideline. You have doubted that Jesus can overcome your frailties. That, that is so significant. That's actually why I think this is all about the disciples doubting themselves. Look at Jesus' response. But some doubted. Jesus says, I have all authority in heaven where you're staying. And by the way, I'll be with you until the end of the age. Like this is never going to expire. That means it applies as much to us as it applied to the 11 disciples, some of whom were doubting on that mountain. I mean, that is such good news. That, that's incredible. And it's just a matter of whether you're going to believe that Jesus has that authority or not. That, that's the bottom line. He can use broken people. We, we talked about this in our 
uh, in our small group last night. How many of you uh, remember the Kevin Costner classic, Tin Cup? Raise your hand. Movie about a, a golfer. He's kind of washed up. He's a little bit frail, but he is an incredible ball striker, right? What is the evidence, if you remember that movie, the greatest evidence that Kevin Costner's character, uh, what was that guy's name? Roy, Roy McElvoy. Uh, what was the evidence that Roy was an incredible golfer? You might say that it, it is that he shot par in a round of golf using only a seven iron, including to putt. That's a pretty good golfer. I, I can't do that. I'm not that good of a golfer. But Roy McElvoy shot par on a golf course using a seven iron. Pretty good golfer, right? Another scene in Tin Cup where Roy, while betting pretty high dollar stakes of money, beats a guy in golf using garden tools, like a spade and a hoe and things like that. Y'all remember that? You got to be a pretty good golfer to beat somebody else using a spade and a hoe in golf. That's kind of what this is about. It's what Jesus is saying. Look, I'm, I'm that good. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, spades and hoes. In the garden sense of the term. To accomplish great things. Focus, people. That's what God does. Like, the kingdom doesn't expand because of any man's, like, profound gifts. The kingdom expands because Jesus still has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he can accomplish great things, extraordinary things, through really ordinary people. Spades and hoes. And it's all going to come down to you believing that. It really honestly is. So that's, that's what I want to really charge you with from Scripture and teaching. I want to give you one more tool, okay? Just one more tool that I, I think will help you in your disciple-making efforts. And I'm going to turn this on. Boom. And we're going to look at this next tool together, okay? Because I'm, you have bought into what Scripture says. I'm convinced that you're like, I am frail, I am weak, but God can overcome frailty and weakness because of the authority that Jesus has to go before me and for the, the, the assurance that Jesus is with us even to the end of the age if, if we are his children, if, if we are God's children and his disciples. So this is one more tool I'm going to give you that I think will help you kind of break down what might sound like a really beefy commandment. You know, go and make disciples. You're like, how, where do I start? What do I do? This breaks it down. Like, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? This, this breaks it into five big bites instead of one big bite. So uh, it's, it's what we call the disciple star here at Grace Bible Church. And um, and there's this big division in our staff, by the way. This, this is just an introduction into the psyche of Grace Bible Church's staff, which is really weird. Um, our staff has a real aversion 
to alliteration. Like anything, like there are going to be five V words and it works pretty well and our staff hates it, just hates it. Because it's like, they're like, we don't like organized religion. We'd rather be disorganized. I mean, that's kind of what they think. And, and so what we did, in order to get this tool to be embraced by our staff, we just came up with interrogative words. So if, if you hate alliteration or the letter V or whatever, you can use, you can use the interrogatives. And, and if, if you like Vs, freedom. Freedom here at the men's retreat. Okay, so vision. Why? You're thinking about making a disciple. Jesus said in casting a short vision, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers. I'll make you fishers of men. That's his vision. That's the vision he casts on the front end. People drop their nets and go. What is your vision? What are you calling people into? When you say, would you like to enter into a disciple-making relationship, what are you offering someone? What do they think you're offering? If the word scares you, imagine the poor guy who you're asking to be in a disciple-making relationship. If you don't know what it means, he doesn't know what it means either. So you're trying to articulate on six or seven words what you're actually calling someone into. In Houston, Texas, very blah, hate it. People lack purpose and peace. They feel like they're running in a habit trail, but they're never getting anywhere. And so I say, follow Jesus, find purpose and peace. That, that's my vision. It's not your vision. You're going to have to figure out something quick that you can call people to by following Jesus. What do they need? Kind of depends on their context. But, but that's something that you need to figure out. So that's vision. That's the why of entering into a disciple-making relationship. Next one is voice or who. You can't disciple everyone. You won't disciple anyone if you try to disciple everyone. Jesus picked 12. He probably had were special within the 12. And so the question is, who are you going to choose? There's a number of ways to answer this question that I'll give you, and then there's probably some other ones that you can think of yourself. One, in my mind, horribly awkward question, but I think it's uh, a pretty neat picture. In whose ears has God made your words big? Isn't that weird? But it's kind of a neat question. Who, for whatever reason, has God given you kind of a favorable voice with? That's likely someone you should disciple. Uh, if, you, if you want to go scriptural, uh, Luke, I think it's 11, uh, the disciples go in and they're looking for people of peace, people of peace, people who, even though they're not even Christians yet, somehow favor what the disciples are all about. Fat, you, you can look for fat people, faithful, available, teachable people. That's a good way to look. I mean, look for someone who's fat. I mean, whatever it is, you've got to figure out who it is because you can't disciple everyone. You've got to figure out who it is. That's who has God given you a voice with, or the second interrogative, who? Next one, voyage. Voyage is kind of a force, but basically we're, we're saying in this, hey, where are we trying to go with this? Like, what's the destination? If you're doing one-on-one -on -one disciple making, that's going to change with almost every 
relationship that you have. If, if you're doing one-on-three, it's still going to be unique, one group to a next. Now, there are systemic things that the church is going to do that's going to be one size fits all. That's, that's great. We do that too. Y'all do that. But, but hopefully those groups, those one size fits all things, so that you can go out and do this organically, and you've got to take somebody and you've got to say one size of discipleship doesn't fit every person. Like there might be one guy who's struggling uh, with pornography. There's another guy who's struggling in his relationship with his wife. There, there's a third guy who's just a brand new Christian and, and they don't know which way is up and they just need to learn the basics. And, and so with all of those people, you're starting at one destination and you're trying to get to another destination and you might get to that destination. You might help a guy get through an addiction to pornography or something and then you might continue and go, okay, where do we go from here? And at some point, the where we go from here is, who are you going to do this with next? But you got to figure out where you're going before you get to the next question. And this is a critical one. What? What is your vocabulary? What is your curriculum? What is what we're actually going to study? So the problem in American disciple making is that the people who are making money at this, make money off the what. It's, it's curriculum. at these disciple-making conferences. I'm the only person not hawking curriculum. And the curriculum is good. I'm pro-curriculum. But what they're going to tell you is, buy my stuff, take men through it, things are going to work out. And, and they're not saying, this will work for this niche market, because niche markets don't put money in their pocket. This works for everyone. That's what they're going to tell you. It doesn't. There's some great curriculum that will not meet some disciple-making needs. You've got to figure out where you're going, and then you've got to figure out what to use to get there. But I promise you, you've got to think, everyone thinks first of curriculum, and it's a huge mistake, huge mistake. It, it just doesn't work that way. Figure out vision, figure out voice, figure out voyage, and then figure out your vocabulary. And by the way, this isn't that hard. Like you do this in every other component of your life. This is just systematic thinking. It's all it is. Who am I discipling? What does he really need most right now? What resources can we use to get him there? That's all we're talking about. This is not hard stuff but you'd be amazed how many people go, well, I loved this curriculum 15 years ago, and so I'm going to use it indiscriminately for every relationship I have. Square peg in a round hole, square peg in a round hole. Why isn't this working? Get it? The last one, and I think this one's really important too, is vehicle. Vehicle, or how are we going to get there, is everything that makes up the relationship and the dynamic of your disciple-making relationship not called curriculum? Is there going to be accountability? Is there going to be vulnerability? One-on-one, one-on-three, one-on-six, what, what's it going to be? The bigger your number of people, the less vulnerable and accountable you're going to probably be able to be. Just That's generally how it works. 
Are you going to do ministry together, or are you just going to talk theology? Are you going to actually do the ministry together, or are you going to be accountable to do ministry individually and then give reports back? What are you actually calling them into beyond the study of a curriculum? There is so much miss in relationships because we never clarify the how. How are we going to get there? Not what are we going to study, but what's this going to look like? The, the, the travel to the destination. What is it going to look like? If you can figure out in your mind as the disciple-er these five points, why, who, where, what, and how, and if you can communicate that clearly and honestly with the guy that you're inviting into this relationship, your light, people at a variety of different churches really around the country, they, they call us up and, because they've heard our, our small groups go pretty well. And they say, hey, can we have your curriculum? And I go, yeah, you can have our curriculum. It's free. We're not making any money off it. But it's not going to get you what you want. Because it's one of five points on a star. I mean, I don't tell them that, but, but that's the truth. Like, w the reason our small groups are good isn't because our curriculum is that sexy. It's not. The reason our disciple-making efforts are working is because all five of these points combine to create culture that is defined. And, and we train our leaders with these five points in mind. And, and, and people know what they're shooting for. And it's not just, oh, we're trying to make disciples. What's a disciple? No idea. This breaks it down a little bit. Like, there's nothing complicated about this. Like, we have not succeeded because we're smart. We're not that smart. This is accessible to everyone. I mean, everyone. I'm not, I'm not kidding. There's not a man in here that, that can't understand this and execute on it. It's right there for you. And all, all of these points matter. And the, the biggest thing about this star is don't make the what decision first. Like, that's the classic American blunder classic American blunder. Any questions about this? So this, um, should this be for the entire organization or does the disciple need to answer these questions for himself on how he does discipleship? <laughs> sure. All of these tools that we've gone through have multiple applications. That, the, the beauty of a tool is that it has multiple applications. Um, and, and so, this is, I think, really helpful for individual uh, relationships or individual groups, but it, it can also help, you know, a, a ministry team. And, and basically, the only difference is going to be the, uh, the voyage is going to have to be a little bit more general um, and less specific to an individual because you're, you're dealing with 40, 70, 100, however many people. So, it can be used in all situations. The larger 
the sample for which you're applying it, the more general some of these questions are going to have to be. So that, that's it. But even then, it's good to know what you're shooting for yeah. and, and why, you're, why you're making these decisions. So, but it's as important for individuals. Yes? You mean person making the decision? Yes. So that's a great question, actually. This is worth talking about. In terms of our ministry systems, we really have two gatekeepers. It's, it's me as the senior pastor and then a group pastor, a guy named Daniel Ernest, who's, in my mind, brilliant. Um, so systemically for our church, as we try to prepare through our discipleship groups, disciple makers, there's two gatekeepers. We're working together on that. That's systemically. Now, what we're also trying to do, though, through our system is give people a working understanding of this and our other tools so that they can take it and be the gatekeepers themselves when our disciple-making efforts go organic so that it's less through our systems. Ultimately, we don't want our disciple-making efforts to be contained within our systems of ministry, we of ministry to produce organic relationships that are spilling out into the workplace and into recreation and all of these things not part of Grace Bible Church. We succeed when it goes beyond our small groups and into life, the life of our, our people. So on one hand, it's two gatekeepers, and on another hand, it's as many gatekeepers as there are disciple-making relationships. That's a, that's a great question, and it's, it's probably worth clarifying because you know, Stephen's job, you know, in this is, is a little bit different, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean job in a different sense, and, and you got to embrace it. So on the what, how do you, if you get to a point you don't want to find those resources, where do you go to find the what? Stephen. Uh, I mean, Stephen, there, there's a lot of different places, and, and the, you know, the, there's a quote that's going to come up that, that it will help, but Stephen can help you. Roger can help you. Um, look online. I, I wouldn't just buy anything off of an online, you know, promotion. That gets a little scary. Um, but I mean, some of that is trial and error, and some of that is using your community. There are people in this room who have probably done things similar to what you're doing with your next guy, and you being in community with other disciple makers is going to be a huge resource, whether it's Stephen or even anybody else. Like, nothing new under the sun. There are a lot of different curriculums for a lot of different needs, but there's also, you know, there's no new needs. So, hang in there. That, that's one of the, the things you just get better at with practice. And you can figure out what works in different situations and what curriculums you like to use and what curriculums you don't like to use. Some are bad, but even some good ones just aren't that easy to use for, for one individual. It's, you'll get better by doing it. Can I say something? Yeah, sure, Absolutely. Um, in terms of curriculum, I'll be the first to say that it's a tool that we want to put in your hands. And so, you know, we use, right now, we've been using the four, four priorities for three years, right? Uh, that may change. It may stay, okay? But there's, there's important thought process that goes into the kind of curriculum 
that you use and somebody evaluate that and think through what that, what that is. A lot of discipling curriculum that you see out there is just doctrinally based, okay? And, and maybe you guys have walked through some of that. And so you're looking at the atonement of Christ, you're looking at the crucifixion of Christ, you know, you're looking at doctrine, and that is the process, okay? So that's one, that's, one, that's over here, right? The, the, other, the other side is dis, a disciplines approach. Smack. The other side is a, is a, is a disciplines approach. And, and that's good too, but the disciplines approach now is, okay, go study your Bible and, and prayer and learn how to be involved in, you know, my personal disciplines of the faith. And that's good, and that's important, and that's all a part of discipleship is, is the learning to walk with guys in those processes. So, so that's the other side over here. And, and usually when, you're, when somebody like me is looking for a curriculum, we're seeing one extreme or the other, right? And, and so no, none of them are perfect. Um, and the reason that we use the four priorities is because it balances both those extremes. Okay, it's not just doctrinally focused. There's good doctrine, and it's and you know there's there's doctrinal things in there that are great. But it's not just disciplines focused either. But it's disciplines focused, and so what it does is it it blends the two and doesn't give us either extreme. And for that reason, it's a pretty good tool. But it's just a tool. And if you want to know my vision, I think there's three things you need for discipleship, and just three. It's guys who've trusted Christ, who are ready to walk together in him, number one. Number two, the Holy Spirit. Number three, the Word of God. That's all you need. We, a tool, strictly, because most of us don't have the confidence to take the Word of God yet and talk about who Jesus is and walk in that. And, and that's okay. But, but I want us all to use that tool through some iterations and, and systematically get a hold of those topics of foundational discipleship in such a way that what we do then is pick up our Bible and walk into it organically, into our relationships and our businesses, into when somebody, uh, when God gives me the opportunity to win somebody to Christ in my office or wherever, as I go, I'll know exactly what to do with them next. And that's what we want to do. So I hope that clarifies our approach at Wayside to curriculum. I don't want to go to one extreme or another. I want to get something that's balanced. Amen. The only thing I would add to that is even with a balanced curriculum, all curriculum is going to have some sort of weakness. You know, hopefully you're picking curriculums um, that get you into the word and, and have some real strengths. But curriculum itself won't get you where you're going that that's why the how is there you're going to have to supplement and and know okay in this area and that's super important but there are some other things that we're going to have as part of our small group that are going to be equally as important and so feel free to supplement and, and supplement might be you know if your curriculum is very doctrinally oriented you you talk through you know, disciplines or, you know, whatever it is, or, or if your curriculum doesn't have, you know, any sort of 
um, component that, that works toward accountability or vulnerability, you're going to have to add those things in. So he's right. A, a curriculum is, is just a tool. That's all it is. And, and he's also right in saying that the curriculums that we use are, are simply ways to get people into God's word. I mean, like ultimately it is going to be the word of God. Let me finish just by saying, uh, giving you two quotes that I think are really cool and encouraging. The first one is, my greatest fear is not failure, it's succeeding at something that doesn't matter. There is so much application of that statement for churches, but also for individuals within churches. We know that life-on-life disciple-making is a inclusive use of your time. Uh, there are a lot of other things you can do in life, just generally, certainly even in church. Prioritize this. Like, prioritize disciple-making because succeeding in all of these other things might not be your greatest success. Uh, you, you might be climbing to the wrong mountaintop. And that's a real bummer. I've done it. So uh, the next one is, if a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing badly. G.K. Chesterton said that. And the point to Ken's point is, he asked, you know, how, how do you know what curriculum to pick? Part of this is being willing to fail and, and figure things out. Like, it's not going to be the worst thing in the world if, if you stumble a couple of times as you get going in disciple-making. The people that you're investing in, if you're loving them well, they're not going to give a rip. They're going to care that they've been loved well. So, so you being an expert tactician, disciple-maker, isn't what people are looking for. They're looking for people who are faithful and obedient and show up in the messy stuff of life. So get in there and be willing to fail because if you wait until you are so confident that you will not fail, you will wait till glory. Like That's the deal. So just be encouraged. Get in there and try. You'll learn. You'll become a better disciple maker by making disciples. That, that's how it works. And we're 15 years in and we are really intentional in this and we tweak our systems and I tweak how I make disciples every year. And I have so much more to learn. I mean, I have so much more to learn about this. Fun to learn. And, and you'll get better, I promise, by practice, just like anything else. Okay, let me pray and we will send you off to your small groups. Um, again, oh, I'll pray, and then Stephen will make an announcement. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be so trusting that your son Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, that that would quench our doubts, not in our own abilities, because we don't want to be self-confident, but it would quench our doubts in your ability to work through us to accomplish Father. I pray that we would so trust you that it would prompt us to get off a curb and into followership and disciple-making. God, thanks so much for these guys. Thanks, God, for how you have made them and how you want to use them as you've made them to accomplish your great purposes as they invest in other men in love 
and, and towards your kingdom. I pray that we would do great at that, all of us, and that we would be constantly uh, jealous for, for these opportunities because in them we see you, but also through us. And that is such a joy, Father. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. Everything that we've said here is founded upon him. We give him all credit and glory uh, for everything that is good in our lives. And we are grateful for your grace for all the things that aren't good in our lives. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.